My name is Noaris. And yes, it's hard to say for some of you, and I understand that. So for many years, I let people call me No Harris because it was easier. But then when I got married at the age of 22 and graduated college, I put my foot down humbly and said, no more, please. I just want to go on as No Aris. I am Cuban, and I was born in Cuba. And at the age of eight, and my sister was nine, my parents and I came to the States and that in itself is a wonderful story, but it's more so my parents' story to tell because they were the adults in the whole thing, and they watched how every step the Lord guided um, the, the way and paved the way for us to come to the States um, legally, which was a very long, tedious process. And um, ever since then, they've been able to help the rest of our family in Cuba and it's been a blessing that, and we're humbled that the Lord chose our family out of our whole extended family to bring to the States. Um, at the age of 17, I grew up in a Christian home, always there when the church doors were open, and we were sharing with our youth group a few nights, a, a few weeks ago, um, we were sharing our salvation story, and the truth is that I don't have a date that I can recall or remember making a decision to follow Christ for the first time. I just remember always growing up with that fear of the Lord, and I couldn't remember when, as a child, I had done it. Um, it never really bothered me until I was 17 years old. I went to camp, a Christian camp in Florida, and um, and the preacher was preaching, and I thought I was a, I thought I was a good Christian. And it's because I compared myself to other students in my public school, and I don't do those things, so I'm doing pretty good. But as I listened to the sermons that week, a whole week of intense preaching, the Lord, the Holy Spirit just convicted my heart of sin that was in my life, unrepented sin that I didn't even see as a big deal. But the truth is that to God, sin is not really small or big is sin and it's a big deal because he's a holy God and so the Lord convicted my heart I made many decisions commitments and I wrote them down and I went to the altar and I said Lord I don't know when I got saved I know that I love you and I know that I feel conviction of sin but I don't I don't have a date of salvation so tonight I want this to be the night that goes down in the record of my story that I rededicate my life to you. As a conscious teenager, I choose that I want to live for you intentionally and help me to deal with this sin in my life. I went back home and I spent that senior year of public high school just trying to be very intentional, even if it cost me friendships. And I'm a very friendly, talkative person. But I, I realized that I didn't have to be unkind or <laughs> shun people away. But just by living right, some would just sh shed out of my life. They would distance themselves. I didn't have to even do that. You could either join me or you won't want to be around me. And as soon as they saw me sitting in a hallway before school with a Bible, trust me, they walked their own way. But there's a few that came to me and said, you're a Christian too? And I said, Yes, I am. And they were like, me too. And we never known because none of us had ever taken a stand like that. And so out of those little encounters, the Lord created 
allowed to be formed this Bible study group in a public school. I think the highest number that we ever got to meet before school that senior year was probably 28 teenage. It was mostly, I think it was mostly girls. But it was just a beautiful thing that the Lord did and already started a work in me. I went back to camp the next summer. I was already enrolled in a community college with a um, what is called the Bright, the Florida Bright Future Scholarship that I had worked so hard so many years to be able to earn. I already had some credit, college credits that I accumulated that senior year. But that whole year, what I didn't tell you is I would go to bed crying my eyes out because I didn't know what I was going to do after college. I thought that I was settling. And there's nothing wrong with community college. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But the Lord had given me a desire for something else, but I was too scared to do it. And so then that summer, I went back to camp. And that Wednesday night of camp, the invitation seemed to be the longest invitation ever. And I think the Lord was just waiting for me. And I came to the altar, and I committed to going to a Christian college to train. I was already serving in my local church, but to train, to prepare, to maybe impact not just my local church, but many teenagers throughout the rest of my life. And I guess I will be telling you my age. I'm 31 years old, so I made that decision at the age of 18. And I will tell you, the next four years, I went to um, Southeastern um, Free Will Baptist College to prepare. I have made lifelong friendships there. I also met my husband there, as you already know. And my girls are wearing my same outfit, so you'll know who they are. But, um, um, and we've been served, we served five and a half years in Florida with a youth group there. And then the last three and a half years um, in North Carolina with some of the teenagers that you see here today. And um, it has cost us to, living for Christ costs you something. It's not worth doing if it doesn't cost you something. So what has it cost us? Um, we have we've have to make some tough decisions. We live away from our parents. Our daughters grow up away from their grandparents, but it is worth it. Um, there is joy in serving Christ. Um, we've had some hard times along the way, but the joyous times and the satisfying times far outweigh the sacrifice. And that's how things work with the Lord. Um, so come to him, not because he promises it will be easy, but because he promises he will be there with you every step of the way. My name is Stephen West. Brother Daryl mentioned I am the youth pastor at Graceway Church in Melbourne, Florida, which is about 17 hours south of where we are right now. Uh, I had the opportunity to bring a group of eight from Melbourne, Florida, about an hour southeast of Orlando, uh, to be with you guys this week to tag team with Tabernacle and just see what God's going to do this week. And I'm excited to be able to bring the word of God to you today. But can I, can I remind you of something before we begin today? God and his sovereign will and his planning had you here for a reason today. Maybe you were asked to come. Maybe you came in kicking and screaming. Hopefully not. But this trip was actually scheduled for last year. Due to everything that happened, God had allowed us to reschedule the trip for this week. And on this day, 
in this hour, in this moment, you're here. And so what that tells me is you didn't all rush to hear me. I wouldn't rush to hear myself, all righty? But what it tells me is whether you realize it or not, God has something for you today. God has something that if you can get a hold of today, it will change your life forever. Not because of me, because of the one that we're going to talk about today. Um, my wife and I got married in 2013. We moved to Florida in May of 2014, so we celebrated seven years. We have two children that look like their mother, praise the Lord. Um, Carson, who is four, and Ava, who is one and a half. And uh, we are so thankful for what God is doing. We're biased. We think we have the greatest young people on the planet. Um, but we are thankful that we get to be in God's service, serving him, knowing that he could use anyone. And it's a humble thing. So I hope you brought your Bible to church this morning. Would you join me in Matthew chapter 16? Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to find ourselves today. We're going to read verses 13 through 20, but I want to focus specifically on one verse. Jesus is in his middle of his ministry. We know chapters behind. He preached his sermon on the mount. He's ministering in his three years of ministry as he fulfills his 33 years of life. And we find ourselves beginning in verse 13. The Bible says, beginning in verse 13, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? The disciples said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus to you this morning? Jesus, as we take a time out for just a second, gives, if you will, an apologetic challenge to everyone that's listening to him. Who do people say that I am, but then who is Jesus to you? Is he more than just a religious figure that churches have been built around? Or is he Savior and Lord? Jesus is trying to get this message across to the disciples here. We pick back up in verse 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, son of Jonah, if you will. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. I want to focus our attention this morning on verse 18. Verse 18, the Bible says, Jesus speaking, he says, And I tell you, you are and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. For the time that we have this morning, I want to preach a message simply entitled, The Church That God Is Building. Would you bow in a word of prayer with me? Father, 
I thank you, Lord, for today and the opportunity we have to take time out of our busy schedule and to hear your word. Not to hear me, but to hear the word of God go out and impact our lives. We pray and we ask of that today. For those that are joining us by way of social media or for those who are visiting for the first time or for those who are part of the flagship family, Lord, you know the needs represented. I pray today you would take your word as we claim the promise it will not go void. It will accomplish what you desire. Would you work and do what only you can today, I pray in Jesus' name and amen. According to a Barner Research poll conducted in July 2020, they surveyed a number of pastors, and what they found was pastors who believed that their church would grow after the pandemic, dipped from a high of 34% to a mere 13%. 33 pastors saw their church staying the same, and 49% believed their church would be lower than ever before. Since 2007, the Southern Baptist Convention has lost 2 million members, and from 2018 to 2019, 287,000 members have left the church, and in 2020 alone, the SBC has lost over 436,000 members. At the National Association that was conducted in Birmingham just, just a few weeks ago for the Methodist denomination, a split has begun to grow massively throughout the group over a declaration that was both documented and spoken aloud, stating that when a man comes to Christ, his family will come to Christ. But if a lady comes to Christ, her family may come to Christ. Within the Presbyterian denomination, over 56,000 members and 116 churches have left the more liberal PCUSA, dropping from 9,041 congregations to 89,25. In 2019 alone, the National Association of Free Will Baptist Committee, specifically the denominational research, reported 124 churches in need of a lead pastor, not including the decline in church attendance, which will be reported in this year's national meeting next week. In Memphis. On the screen here, you're going to see a graphic that the Barna Research Committee gave. And although the numbers may be hard to read from where you are, this was a study that was conducted beginning in 2003 all the way to January and February of 2020. And what you will find is not only men and women 35 and above, we were at the 50 percentile in mid-40s. Now we've reached all the way to the point before the pandemic made its cap. 20% of church declined before COVID-19 hit. Now, we see in the Bible clearly in different passages of Scripture, more specifically, if you will, in Hebrews chapter 6 and Thessalonians chapter 3, that as we move closer to the coming of Jesus Christ, there are going to be more and more people who disassociate themselves with the things of God. More and more people are going to move away from the church due to different things that are going on. Even 2 Timothy 3 says that the depravity of man as it is now is just going to get worse and worse. And you say, Brother Stephen, why are you giving me this information? This is not the most encouraging thing I've ever heard. But this is where we are. But with all of this taking place, what does this mean for the church? Does this mean that the church should just be lowly and meek? 
I mean, God's word did say these things would happen, right? So do we just fall in line and just, do, do we have the attitude of, see, I told you so. I told you to trust in Jesus and look what you've done with yourself. Do we get to a point as a church where we just become settled? With all the pain and sorrow, emptiness, regret, and utter blasphemy that human beings are involved with now and will be later, does this mean the church should just be silent in the ways of outreach, satisfied in the ways of order, and stagnant in the ways of outcome? And if this is going to happen, it's, you know, it's just going to happen. What is the church supposed to do? Ladies and gentlemen, I believe this morning that the church is God's chosen avenue to proclaim the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, can I remind you today that Flagship Church is more vital today since its preview service on November 20th, 2011, and its official launch service in Easter of 2012. Can I remind you today that until Jesus makes his second return, it is his will that the gospel is spread through the church. Now, can I remind you that the church is not the building that we're sitting in? The church is you. Can I encourage you that the church is not going to proclaim the gospel? It's the people in it. So what do we do with this? How has God built his church what is God's church built upon, and what does God's church have to look forward to in the future? I believe verse 18 answers these questions. Here in verse 18, what we are going to find is, I believe, God's formula on what he has done, what he wants to do for the church. There are three things that I want you to see this morning, and we, I want to lead you through it so that we understand clearly that God has built his church, and he's continuing to build it. The first thing that we're going to see in verse number 18 is the finding of the local church. Look with me at the very first section of verse 18, and you're going to see these seven words. And I tell you, you are Peter. Peter, the man whom Jesus called out to first in Mark chapter 1 to follow him. The one who was listed first in Mark 3 of the 12 apostles. The one we see as the spokesman for the other apostles during their ministry together. The one who we know had times where his, lack was, his faith was lacking. His patience grew thin and his loyalty was squandered when it mattered most. It is this Peter that God is going to use in a mighty way to begin the process of the local church. You see, when Jesus looks at Peter and says, you are Peter, he's not talking to Peter because he has short-term memory loss. He is reminding Peter who he is in Christ, who he was before he met him. May we never forget who we were. Before we met Christ. Now, in order for us to understand the birth of the church specifically, I, I don't see a way that we can avoid Acts chapter 2 in order to understand what's going on. 
Verses 37 through 47 in Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, feel free to join me. If not, I'm going to read it for you. The beginning of Acts chapter 2, we're reminded of the day of Pentecost in verses 1 through 13. And then in verses 14 through 36, Peter delivers, I believe, one of the most powerful sermons that was ever preached apart from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And I want you to hear what Peter says in verses 37 through 47. And just listen along if you'd like. The Bible says now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse number 39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, every one whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship of the breaking of bread and prayers. All came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions, belongings, and distri distributing the proceeds to all as all had need. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to that number day by day those who were being saved. Ladies and gentlemen, what I want to remind you this morning is the birth of the local church is accomplished through the proclamation of the gospel. God uses Peter to proclaim the gospel to people who needed it most. The New Testament church was born. God would choose to birth his church by using a man like Peter, a man in need of a savior just like you and me, a man whose lack of faith would be evident, a man whose lack of patience would be evident, a man whose lack of loyalty would be evident. A man at times like you and me. Someone who has trusted in Christ and yet has times where his faith is shaken. Someone who understands that God loves him, but at times, I'm unlovable. God uses Peter to remind everyone the proclamation of the gospel is where the church begins. The same man who proclaimed in verse 16 that we read earlier, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, church, what the world needs more than ever before is a clear presentation of the gospel. We don't need a new church thing. And I'm all for different events and new things that are going on throughout the church. But if we lose the purpose of why we exist, why does this matter? The world needs to hear more and more, realizing that we're sinners. And even though God loves us, there is sin that has separated us. As we realize our sin, repenting of our sin, turning our loyalty to Jesus and our back towards what we did, receiving Christ as Savior and Lord, 
My friend, maybe you're here today and you're visiting. Can I tell you something right now? The greatest thing you'll ever need is not flagship church. It's Jesus. The greatest thing you will ever need in your life is not more money, not a stable job, not a bigger family. It's to give your soul to the one who gave you life. That's what church is about. Now, I understand, okay? I was talking with someone the other day, and they were asking me about church and all these different things, and no doubt, okay, there are churches out there, and then there are churches out there. Visitors come. Minus the fact they feel like they've been swarmed on like mosquitoes, right? I've talked with people before who are skeptical about church. What do they say? Hypocrisy. All they want is your money. All they want is to get to know your business, to add extra gossip. And I'll admit, as long as the church has people, there's going to be situations, right? But can I encourage you today, if you came here today, Expecting to find a group of perfect people, you need to keep looking. It's the same true at Graceway Church and at Tabernacle Church. We don't come to compare our perfection. We come honoring the one who is perfect. And what Peter does here, he reminds people, as we'll look at his sermon in just a moment, the birth of the local church is found through the proclamation of the gospel. And that is where we begin. But the second thing that I want you to see is not only the finding of the local church, but in the second part of verse 18, I want you to see there's the foundation of the local church. Foundation. We've already have our finding, if you will. It's beginning. Now I want you to look at the foundation. We read just a moment ago the beginning of verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter. But then we see, and on this rock, I will build my church. Now, I understand this verse. And I understand how things have been interpreted through this verse. And I feel that we must interpret the Bible correctly. I believe that's our job. The Greek word for Peter is the word petros, P-E-T-R-O-S. And it literally means rock or stone. But then the Greek word for rock, as you see there, is the word petra, P-E-T-R-A. And that word literally means bedrock. Now, for any of you who master in petrology or mineralogy, see some of you, you're looking excited. All righty? No? Okay. Well, if you ever find time to study petrology or mineralogy or you're bored enough to do so, there is actually a distinct difference between the word bedrock and the word rock. Let, let me explain. Bedrock is rock that is in place. It's not moving. It's foundational. But rock, on the other hand, is a fragment of bedrock. And it is transported from another location by way of weathering and or erosion. D.A. Carson states concerning this section that the Greek language makes the distinction between petros and petra simply because it's trying to preserve the poetic pun. That's great. What in the world's the poetic pun? I'm glad I was there with Matthew when he wrote that, right? That's the thought maybe you have. What's the poetic pun that Matthew's trying to give? The poetic pun is Peter is a fragment of the foundation. 
Let me explain. The apostles are the assembled foundation of the local church. Peter is the apostolic foundation of the local church. And Jesus Christ is the absolute foundation of the local church. Let, 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 me, let me explain some more. God uses the apostles through the book of Acts to help lead and assemble the local church. We see that Peter, James, and John, Jerusalem Council. We understand that. We then see Peter laying the foundation of the Jerusalem church as he brings in the Samaritans in Acts 8, the Gentiles in Acts 10 and 11. But yet, Peter and the apostles, what they're doing is they're not promoting their own agenda. They're pointing their strength and salvation to Jesus. They're not building the church of Peter. They're not building the church of Andrew. They're building the church of Christ, and that is their foundation. Ladies and gentlemen, the bedrock of the local church is established through the person of the gospel. Not only do we see that the birth of the local church is accomplished through the proclamation, but the bedrock is found and established through the person of the gospel. It is Jesus Christ who is the foundation of this local church here. You say, Brother Stephen, this is, this is all cute. This is great. You taught me these petrology, mineralogy stuff. Your little Greek stuff, that's cool. Yeah, whatever. Okay, but I, I, I'm not buying it. I'm, I'm just, I'm still struggling with the fact that the church is built on Jesus Christ instead of the church built on Peter. Well, if you're here this morning and you feel that way, I'm not mad at you. I want to give you more evidence that it's actually true. If, if you have just a moment, I feel the best way to actually understand what the church is built on is actually looking at what Peter says. See, Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, just, just listen as I read it. Hopefully it'll, it'll give you some clarification. Peter says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Look at verses 32 and 33. We continue on. Peter says this, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Verse number 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Yes, you a question. Does this sound like the words of a man who wants to build a church on himself? What Peter is doing here is he is helping people understand Jesus is on the cross and he died for your sins because of your sins, but he did rise again. And I can't do that because I'm just a man. But I'm going to point you to someone who is greater than a man. Peter is constantly rejecting praise and admiration, and instead he's pointing people to the person of Jesus Christ. God is miraculously using Peter to help form the church, but the church is not formed on Peter. The church is formed on Christ. 
the bedrock of the local church is established through the person of the gospel. Now, we've we spent a lot of time focusing on those words and on this rock, but let's not forget what he says. I will build my church. Don't forget that. <laughs> and is Peter talking in your Bible, or is it actually Jesus who says verse 18? It is Jesus who will build this church. I love the word build here because this is a unique word. The word build here doesn't just necessarily mean this moment in Acts 2, boom, here it is. But it's, it's focused on not only the Old Testament saints whose salvation was placed in the future Messiah by faith. And it's not just focused on in our context what is happening right then and what is happening now. But Christ is building his church until he comes back. It is a continual build that is going on. There's the finding. There's the foundation. But as we conclude this morning, and I love, I love the end of verse 18. There's the future of the local church. What's the future? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I hope that does your heart good this morning, church. You are not doing this in vain. God has not led you to himself to be a part of flagship church because he had nothing else for you to do. He's led you here for a reason. Maybe you are here this morning and you are lost. You do not know Jesus as Savior and Lord today. And somebody invited you. They invited you because, yes, they want you to be a part. But they invited you more because they want to make sure that your allegiance is focused on Jesus. A.W. Tozer said the most important thing in your life is what you believe about Christ do you say that I am? I, I, I love it. It's, it's what Jesus is saying here. We're reminded of the words in Revelation 118 where he says, I am the living one and I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Ladies and gentlemen today, the blessing of the local church is assured through the promise of the gospel. The future of our church this morning is safe and secure because Christ has the keys to death and hell. When it feels like the darkness is too much in your life, there is a Savior who causes darkness to flee. What is the promise of the gospel? Is it, is it church membership? Is it, is it baptism? Is it giving money? What, what is the promise of the gospel? The promise of the gospel is when you draw your last breath, you don't have to be concerned on where you're heading. Because as Christians, when you draw your last breath, you are immediately escorted into the presence of Jesus. And when God the Father looks at you, as a believer, he doesn't look at your sin. He sees the blood of Christ applied to your life. 
And instead of spending an eternity separated from him in a place called hell, you can spend eternity in a place called heaven. A place that hasn't just been made up because of old folk tales and, and nursery rhymes. A literal place. You can spend the rest of your eternity saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. To praise him and say, he is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. To say, oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. That's your future. You are a follower of Christ. I'm not talking about somebody that just you know of Jesus. You've heard of him. But I mean someone who has realized that your life is a wreck. You realize you are missing purpose. It's because you're not living your life for the one who gave you life. Finding foundation in the future. are you this morning maybe you're here today and you are what I call a flagship faithful you've been here since the very beginning and you have watched God do amazing things starting at Pebble Drive maybe you're here and you're come in later on in the story or maybe this is your first time Maybe you've heard about this Jesus and you have just had questions and you have just had concerns and you have just, you just don't know. And I tell you, living for Jesus is a life not wasted. My friend, when you give your life to Christ in faith by his grace, <laughs> your life will never be the same. Maybe you're here today and you are saved. You got a family member. You got a friend. Maybe you have a spouse. But they, they respect, they can even put up with this whole Jesus thing. But what they need more than anything is just a love that only God can give. God wants to do great things. God is still building his church. The question is, do you know the builder? And if you do, are you allowing him to call the shots?